you'll, you'll notice they'll always have a longing to go back to the old home place again. My father, before he left, he had been down to his old home place for many, many years. Some 25 years, I guess. I see him sitting on the beam of the plow one day. He was crying. I was just a little lad. I didn't know very much about it. I said, what's the matter, Dad? He came over and said, you don't understand, Billy, but someday you will. He said, I want to go home. I, I want to see the old home place again. You know, it wasn't a little bit that he, after he visited his old home, he, he went away. My father-in-law, he went squirrel hunting one day, and I said, he said, Brother Billy, you want to go with me? And I said, no, Brother Frank. I don't want to go. He was born up above Utica at a place called Battle Creek. Old home place is the arsenal up there now. And there was uh, an arsenal, Indiana Arsenal there. But that was just before the arsenal was built. He went up there and he come back down and he, he was crying. And I was going with his daughter and I said, what's the matter, Brother Frank? He said, Billy, I set up on the old place up there today and he said, well, the old house used to stand to the old spring along over on the side of the hill. But I could just hear my old mother say, Oh, Frankie. Well, a few days I heard. Maybe it was a call coming from another land. You can hear the echoes across the earth. Did you ever notice a person when they're going? I stood by many persons. Held them in my arms and watching when they were going. I find this very strange. Please, ministers, excuse this. This is not a doctrine. I don't want this congregation to think that this is a doctrine. But I often wonder if when we are going, I'll give my story first here. I stood by a man up some five or six years ago when he was going. He had just been saved a little while. He was sitting in a chair. He was all swollen up with heart trouble. He belonged to a certain church there in the city. And I said, went to him, I said, how do you do, Mr. Bledsoe? Do you know me? He said, yes, I know you, Billy. He said, Billy, I think I'm going. I said, are you ready, Mr. Bledsoe? He said, oh, yes, Billy. I've made my calling, but God, I've answered the call. He said, I'm ready to go if he calls me. I said, I believe he's calling me. I said, well, if you're ready, Mr. Bledsoe, are you willing? He said, yes, Billy, I'm willing. And I had prayer with him and went out and was talking to his wife, sitting there and he's looking across the room, talking. And we had just been in prayer and the Holy Spirit was in the room. And he raised up. He said, Mother, why, I haven't seen you for years. The special said, Dad, are you delirious? He, he said, well, don't you see her? There she is. Wasn't a little bit that he was gone. I went to a man here some time ago, killed in an accident. He was just dying, he come out of the accident. Like manner. I've seen many of them going that way, and I just wonder that if when we're coming, even death is hard, Jesus fought against it as the possible this touch should pass. But when we're coming right down to the end of the road, and I watched my wife when she went. And I, I wonder when we get to the end of the road there, if God just doesn't say to a mother or some of them on the other side, look, 
daughter's coming home this morning. Go down there to the bank of the river. Watch for him. We get to see him when these eyes are becoming transformed from the natural to the supernatural. In that vision, when it's catching on us, if the fog just drives away there, we can look the other side and see him coming down to the river. I hope that's so. I don't know. I couldn't say it's true. I don't know. But I've seen that many times. Our loved ones pass on. Many of you here, most of you are more like myself. Seems like yesterday I was this little bitty old boy. And here I am, I look at my hands and I think, oh my. And I, I see myself and it's, it's creeping along. I'm getting up into years. I mean, it well, seems like yesterday I just, a little boy playing marble. But here we have no continuing city. But we're seeking one to come. You children maker is God. I think of when I was a little boy, we used to live in a little old cabin. There's a bunch of trees around us, a little old uh, apple trees and some big ones. And I remember Dad used to come home from work and he was a real full-blooded Irishman. His black, wavy hair, blue eyes, small man about my size, but his sturdy, husky build, he was a logger. I see him roll his sleeves up like that and his muscles in his arms. Oh my, I want to be like my daddy. And I thought, my daddy will live to be a hundred years old. But he died with his head on my arms at 52. We don't have any continuing city here, but we're seeking one to come. I used to live in a little old house we lived in, a little old log house, boarded over. I thought that house will stand for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. But there's a housing project there now. We don't have any continuing city here. I used to see out front of the dorm when a bunch of little brands, there was ten of us in the family. Nine boys and a girl. And when there's about five of us, when we, I would begin with my life story there, we used to have a place water off out in front of the grass of the porch. Looked like we were a bunch of little possums that been playing and watering around all of us. Mama used to call dinner and she would had a big old kill. Did you ever see one of the big old kills had three legs and great big old kill? put How many of you ever seen one of those kills? Oh my, just look at that. <laughs> we all know what good eating is then, don't we? Just as slick as it could be on the inside. And she'd cook mother in stew. That's very Irish. How many know what mother in stew is? <laughs> just beef, cabbage, potatoes. There you are, carrots, you got it. And then they set for two or three days, eating out of it. Last day it was better than the first because the cabbage got the taste, the cabbage, the taste of the cabbage, mixed all up, dip it out in a teacup. <laughs> yes, sir. Mommy said a big old dipper. And we had a spring down below the house, and, and I used to go down there and had a gourd. Used to dip the water up in an old cedar bucket for the gourd. How many know what a gourd is? Hey, I'm not the only country boy here today. No, sir, I feel better now. <laughs> Makes my clothes fit me better. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. All right. Have an old gourd right on that old spring. My, what a time. And back under a rock, have the butter sitting there, you know. <laughs> All right. Couldn't keep the cream there because it's too many little brands. <laughs> yes, sir. 
get 75 cents a day, a bucket of milk every night. Mom would skim the cream off of it to save for the butter. And um, so we had to keep it long sometimes. And Sal heard it really before he got to churn it. We used to churn it and have an old churn. Had a lank chimney sitting on top of it. You know, you flash her up and down. Never do that? My, this is looking here, brother. My, did you ever grind coffee? Have the coffee milk up? Oh, my, that's good. How many years from Kentucky anyhow? Let's see. <laughs> well, anywhere we are, we're living a different day now, aren't we? You press a button, the nation goes to work. <laughs> that's right. So, that was good old days, I guess. <laughs> anyhow, we have a little more brother to love and feeling for one another than days than what we do now. And I remember when Dad used to make 75 cents a day, he'd come in home. Now, my daddy did that which was wrong, to drink. And he'd go pay all his bills and what he had left, he'd, he'd drink it. And I hate to say that, and it's, uh, but it's truth. If I have to tell anything, I, I must tell the truth. No matter if it's black against me, well, it, it's black, that's all, see. If it's something starry to me, well, I might as well tell it here because it's going to be on the canvases of the skies someday for everybody to look at. Not only have what I've confessed, but I've been lying. So I just really just go right along and just tell the truth about it, and let it be just the way it is. Daddy drank, not only drank, but he made them, the whiskey. And when he would come in and home and, and drink, when after he'd get his grocery bill paid, so forth, he would, he would drink up what he had left. But I don't care what he ever done. I love him today in his grave. That's right. He was my daddy. And look, young children, young folks. I don't care what it is, you always have a respect for your father and mother. I think one of the awful things that I can hear little children say or young folks, the old man and old woman. Listen, that's not the old man and old woman, that's your daddy and mother. And someday when you see them going out of the room head first, and the wheels beneath the casket squeaking, you'll know it isn't the old man or old woman man. That's right. You hear the preacher say, ashes to ashes and death to death. You realize the best brain you ever had on earth is going down. The trouble of it is, you learn it too late. Don't weep and cry then and send lots of flowers. Give them to them now. Be a good boy or a good girl. I remember when old dad used to come in, his shirt packed up on pack, and he'd stand up and sunburn his back into his shirt. The mama take the scissors and cut them from his back. Seventy-five cents a day in Longwood to make me a living. Sure, I love him. Yes, sir. Every time I pass for the grave and see the snow banks up there, I just feel like if I just throw myself down there, warm up the ground where his body lays beneath there. But he's not there. I had the privilege of leading my daddy to Christ before he left. I've seen his hair fall back across my arms and look like that. And he went out to meet God. I baptized my mother just a little bit after my conversion. Last Easter morning, I baptized my boy. I got a little girl, five years now. She's been dedicated. She's coming on. And God lets me live. I'll do everything I can to see her baptized. My little boy now, I'm talking about out of high school, I'm going to send him up here if I can't do this of God or whatever it is, up here around Dallas somewhere to finish up his high school and on to college. Get him in amongst Christian people where it can work and keep us got the Holy Ghost that will help him come through. 
what's the right thing before him. And if he goes wrong, he'll go over the Bible, over the Holy Spirit, and over uh, Daddy's prayer and his praise. That's right. He'll have to cross over all that before he can ever go to hell. Now, I, I believe if you'll pray and hold on, God will answer your prayer. And my daddy, just before he left, he, he, he called for me. He'd been, he'd, poor old fellow, I hate to say this, he just killed me. He he died hungry. That's right. My daddy died hungry. And during the time of depression, we were couldn't work and couldn't find nothing to work, and he was sickly and we were just barely making them, just, just dividing what we could divide. But I know he was hungry, because we hadn't eaten since the day before. And he had a heart attack. And I stood by his bed, and I picked him up on my arm, like that, he looked at me. And went out to meet God. Every Sunday, I'll see him again. Mother, she's getting aged. She won't be very much longer. Every time I'm going to leave her, her old quivering lips when she kisses me, she said, honey, someday you'll return and mother will be gone. I said, then mother, I'll come where you are someday. I tried. I'll be up there. And so I remember when they were married, when they were young, when I was just a little bitty fellow. Daddy was 18 years old. Mama was 15 when I was born. Just children. And we were children with them, grown up with them. I think that's a good thing. I do. My little girl, when she gets to be any age, and she finds a good Christian boy that she wants to marry, I'd rather she'd marry him and settle down and be a lady and be out in some of these road houses running around what they call having a good time. That's right. The Bible said, let your daughters marry young. Some's already turned aside after Satan. And I ain't meaning for little bitty kids to get married now. Let your father and mother, they know they're Christians, they can instruct you. I remember how we used to go to town on Saturday night, go in and pay the grocery bill. <laughs> We'd all get a treat of candy. You remember when you used to get a treat? <laughs> oh my, that old peppermint stick candy, you remember that? All in that real candy? Oh my. <laughs> I remember. We'd all get the little old jersey wagon, we call it there. You all call it buckboard here, I believe. Put some straw in the back and a whole lot of quilts. And get in there and all that bunch of kiddies. We'd have a little mule. We'd drive about seven miles down to the city. Stop. Dad would go in and get mother. Get to the groceries and come back out. And I remember they used to have a, a two-gallon can of coal oil. We burned coal oil right. You've done that, haven't you? Many of you. Burn the coal all right. You ever get to a place where you didn't have enough oil for the week to reach it and that poor water in it, let it get up there so you, oh, <laughs> take a big old potato and stick it over the south so going home, you know, with the shake the coal out of the can, get it on the groceries. I'm the great days, brother. That's right. So we never going up. We'd sit there and when Pop would pay the grocery bill, we'd come out with a little sack of candy. Mr. Drawer would give us a sack of candy when we paid the grocery bill. Or each week, and then we come out, and maybe it'd be about five sticks, or maybe four sticks, and five little brands for the heat of eyes a month. Or it'd be about five sets of little blue eyes, every one of them watching that candy, and see if it's equally divided. And it'd be equally divided. We break that candy, you know, stuck on it. I had a little trick I'd do. Hell, I. Monday wasn't blue day for me. I'd take the stuff on my piece of candy a little bit, wrap it up in a piece of paper, and put it in my pocket. Then on Monday morning, Mama would say, William? I'd say, yes, Mama. You have to go to the spring and get a bucket of water. 
I say, Uncle, if you'll go get the bucket of water, I'll let you suck on my candy so I can count ten. I said, we can get rid of it. I had this old piece of peppermint, you know, all right, was really open. Jerry was all cracker, so listen, I get tomorrow I can go and get me a whole box of Hershey's if I wanted to, but there's no candy like that. That's the best there is. Like when you're just a little kid, that old peppermint. My just longest candy lasted, I love <laughs> I keep that candy and wait for the for the work something hard I didn't want to do, you know, and then I'd get my brother to do it. Somebody you know. They go ahead and eat their candy up and I'd save mine. I, I remember when Daddy used to shave. You used to have a shaving brush made out of shelf. How many ever seen a shelf shaving brush? Oh, somebody has. I shave with them. Take the old shelf like that. You ever had a shelf pillow? Or you take the pillow and stick the shelf and put it in there and wash yours and all. Matt didn't take this old, had a little piece of grass drove up where we used to wash out there, you know, the old wash bench. And them little fellas would put their hair down and the tie almost over the mouth open. Had an old bench built back behind the table. And Mother would call dinner all up before the table that we getting up there. And she'd set the great big bowl right in the middle of the table like this and, and bake the cornbread in the pan. How many of you ever eat cornbread baked in a pan? Oh, is that fine? And you know, I used to sit right on the corner next to Daddy and we'd place the bread and I'd break the corner off. I'd get plenty of crust around when she was up and get it right on the corner. Go around and, you know, we broke bread. <laughs> now you cut it with an eye. Well, you, you broke bread. You used to say, well, Jesus broke bread and blessed it. He never cut it. So, and, uh, so that wasn't our reading of it. We just break it. Each fellow break him off a piece and went around the table. And that great big old pot of beans there, the big piece of jewel in it. Mm. Say, you know, that would go bad right now. That, that would be fine, even right now. That's good eating. Yes, sir. And then we would have a big day. Sunday we'd have a pudding. How many of you had the old sweet pudding, you know, used to make it up in the pan, had a little, sometimes a little gadget stuff out in the middle of the pan, you know, and that was a rarity. Wow. Glad to get a hold of that. Brother and I used to argue who would stop the pan. Did you ever stop the pan? Oh, oh, oh. We just looked like the kids growing up that army. So we just get out there and stop the pan. My, all the time we would have it. I tell you, I put in mind an old fashioned Holy Ghost meeting. But one good thing, we're not stopping the pan anymore now, all the folks, we're just getting the cake now, that's right. And God comes right down with us and gives us the foretaste of glory divine. And then, not long ago, I was coming out of a meeting, and I passed by and seen that old place, you don't know how it made me feel. I remember when I used to go to school down there, a little old fellow, I didn't have no clothes to wear. And just ragged. I remember I went to school all winter one time with a coat on. A rich lady had given me that. And I didn't have no shirt. I took this coat that had a little old eagle on the arm. And I thought that was the prettiest thing. And, and I'd take this coat and I had a big catch pin. I'd hit it up like this. So kind of got on to a spring behind. It's all so hot. Teacher said, Will you want to take all that coat? I, I said, I'm chilly. <laughs> I couldn't take that off, but then I had no shirt. So she said, well, uh, you're probably catching a cold, will you? Come over here to the stove. <laughs> She put all that stove up over there, old country school, you know, and the sweat just running off of me. She said, are you still cool? I said, yes, man. <laughs> I 
couldn't get that coat off there, or I no shirt on, I just took it. I went home and there had to be some arrangements made for that, you know, because I didn't, I didn't see me, I just said, oh, where is that coat on? But I remember one of my cousins, they come over to see it, and they had this three of them, two boys and a girl, and the girl was about my age. So she left one of her dresses there. I took the skirt part, cut it off real low down here, and put it on for a shirt. I went to school in order to have that little, you know, a little stuff on it. What did she call it? Uh, rip wrap. That's a rip wrap. That's what it is. Rip wrap. All that on the side of it. I said something wrong there, didn't I? <laughs> Well, Billy, I'll see if he's 
What's that? He come back and said, let's get to it. So very good, I tell you, he said, I wore it out, and my mama taking the, the clothes and the trousers and packed dad's clothes and said, and the little girl tell you how the coat is all gone, but I ain't got a thing of it left but one leg. And I said, bring me that. <laughs> I wanted something. So he brought his little old leg and about that long, had a little drawstring in it. Many of you remember what it was. I wore that around the house. I thought, oh, if I could only wear that to school. Wouldn't I? Wouldn't the kids look at me, you know, this leg and all? So I, I went out to school and I put it back in my coat. I ride down on the sled, on this old log sled, you know, down the bottom of the hill, and the log turned over and over, and I wanted to get some excuse to put that leg on. So, as soon as I said, oh, I hurt my leg. Not half as bad as I that tonight. So I said, oh, my leg hurts. I said, hmm, old boy, stand around and say, you hurt yourself? Cornpecker? <laughs> Kentucky, huh? I said, yeah, I hurt my, my leg. I said, boy, it just reminds me. I've got one of my legs in my scalp. That'll help it a whole lot. <laughs> I put it on. They all got away from me. I went, up, I went to the board. You used to go back, board, you know the words of problem? Just wash one hand, the one they had to hold up to the teacher, you know. So I got around like this, and I put both legs together like this so they wouldn't go and hold out like this and stand sideways. So it's my problem. Everybody looked at me that leg, you know. <laughs> All the kids got laughing at me, and the teacher made me go home. I got crying, but she run me home, so I had to go home. <laughs> oh, my. But, but I say, God finally dressed me up on the inside. I'd rather have it on the inside anyhow. I'm American. I love my nation. I'm willing to go to war anytime he goes to war. It's just Branham after Branham laying dead around France there in Germany. That's right. Many of them are laying there waiting for the resurrection. And I'll... If it become necessary for my country, I'd be very happy to lay myself with them to keep freedom where we can have religion and like we've got it now. No greater nation in the world than our America. I mean that from my heart. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy life. Protect us by our might, great God our King. But dear Christian friends, I'd rather be in the army of the Lord than any place I know of. That's right. Because I know that Someday we're going to a land where there's a secret ages we'll live there forever. And uh, if I'm not mad enough to be out in the army to fight with the armed forces, then God give me a job here to fight the powers of the enemy. And I, a soldier, after all, one of the ranks with you, dressed with your type uniform and your brothers in, in the service. Now, how the old days it really tantalizes and many things happen that wouldn't have time to tell you along the road, but you know how it is old school days. Wouldn't you like to go back there again? Might go back just I wish I could live one day again. I wish I, I wish I could get to that old table that my daddy built on top of a stump. And I, I would like to go back there and sit down there and just live one more day. I'd give all if I had a hundred million dollars laying on this platform. God knows my heart. And I realize that night after night I'll wrestle with demon powers. And I'm not immune from them. They can come to me. Remember one time some boys who thought they had a gift of healing? Said to a man who had epilepsy, I jure thee by Jesus who Paul preaches come out of it. The devil said, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? Is that right? You have to watch what you're doing. Be 
sure it was the call for this thing. And the man was jumped on, stripped the clothes off, and run through the streets naked. Now, if I had this platform laying full of money, millions of dollars, and could pass it every bit away just to see one more scene, and that is, if I could see my old dad into that tent right there, come walking right down this way and reach up his hand and catch me by the hand, I'd give everything I ever had in my life or ever would have had if I could just hold his hand one more time. The real things of life are right around you and you don't see them. That's all. You don't know it till it's gone. That's right. I just want more to see that. But I can't. He's gone on. On down through life, many times I've seen in my little book there how the angel of the Lord appeared back in those days when I sat right on a keg. And I was only about eight years old and I'm watching that whiskey still run all night long. Get right up and started down packing water back to this field. And it's right down on my road back to the pump where the angel of the Lord spoke to me and said, Don't you never drink or smoke or defile your body anyway. But well, there'll be a work for you to do when you get older. Hear me today. I remember one day my daddy was going down to the river. He and another man. I was trying to find favor this man because he had a good boat. I wanted to pull the boat. We got ten cents a dozen for buying bottles for them. Where there was the moonshiners that was fixing the whiskey. And I had a, an old paddle and went down the river be up without the paddle. We didn't have no rudder on the old boat. We had to bail water a while and so forth trying to get along to find the bottles of brother. Now this man had a fine duck, y'all. Now he acted like he liked me and I I wanted to keep faith with him, and we started to cross a little tree, and Dad just cut his leg across like that to cross over the road going down the tree. And when he did, he stopped, pulled a little flat bottle of whiskey out of his pocket, handed over to the next man to take a drink, and the other man taking a drink and handed it to me for me to take a drink. I said, no thanks, I don't drink. I was about eight, nine years old. He said, what? A brand and no drink? Most all brand and with their shoes on. So I said, no, sir, I don't drink. My daddy said, no, I raised one sissy. Oh, my. A sissy. I said, give me the bottle. My daddy looked at me. I cut the bottle for a stopper out of it. just was determined to drink as I am to finish up my service this afternoon. I turned that bottle up, started to take a drink. When I did, I heard them leave and that bush again going. That's the way it appeared to me when it first It's like a roar in the bleed. Looked up and seen back sides of the barrel going back and forth in the trees, and there a human voice spoke to me and said, Don't never smoke or drink to buy your body. Uh, I said to me, Don't smoke or drink. Now, I'm not preaching against one thing else. He told me not to smoke or drink. If you smoke and drink and say you're a Christian, that's up to you and God. But he told me not to do it. Not to do it. And so I did. I've heard many people say, Well, I, I drink a little bit of sociable drink, and I and I use I smoke and don't condemn me. Well, <laughs> maybe you think went far enough yet. That's that's all. You get a little farther on, you'll you'll understand. And that's right. That's right. You won't have no desire for that. And so then, when I was standing there, and I took the bottle, just as determined to drink it as I could be, and I heard that voice. I dropped the bottle and screamed and run up across the hill to the field and they laughed at me. And along about, I got to be about 18, 17, 18 years old, right? All boys, I got a little girlfriend, you know. <laughs> you know how that goes. 
Now don't you man look at me like that. You did the same thing. And you know how pretty she was, you know, she had eyes like a dove and teeth like pearl and a neck like a swan, you know, and there you are. Right? You loved her, the prettiest thing you ever seen? No, she was pretty. And a little country boy that lived there by me, he said he could get his old daddy, daddy's old Ford. We had to jack the back of it up and crank it, you know, for that back wheel, you know, going. We got us a couple down of gas, we now had about 40 cents, and we got our girls and we were riding. So we went out, I feel so bashful. <laughs> I took the old woman out of the car and looked at her, she's pretty, my. She's from the city. And she just moved out there, and I don't know, my, she's pretty thing. And I looked at her, and I said, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, watch her, you know. So we stopped to get some sandwiches, and I went in, got sandwiches, get a hand sandwich for a nickel. So I got some Coke, and come back out, and we started eating the sandwiches, drink the Coke, having a wonderful time. I took the bottles back, when I come back out, to my surprise, my girlfriend was smoking a cigarette. Now that was just about time the girl started smoking cigarettes. Well, I've always had my opinion of a woman that would smoke a cigarette. Now I haven't changed it a bit. That's right. It's the lowest, most degrading thing that a woman ever done to smoke a cigarette. Worse than being drunk on the street. I watch her face get red. That's right. Listen, let me tell you something. Brother, that's the biggest problem that we have in America. I'm not afraid about Russia coming in and whipping us or some other nation coming in and whipping us. We're whipping ourselves, our own morals, and degrading us. That's right. Brother, it ain't the rod that the pecks on the apple that hurts the apple. It's the worm at the core that kills the apple. That's right. Now I tell you, brother, you let a woman get an old time case of salvation and you'll straighten her up. That's right. She'll put you on the Or man, either one. That's exactly right. Amen. That's right. Oh, I'm not here to preach the gospel. These preachers do that for you. You don't want me to go preach to me. I'll tell you that's me really aching, sure enough. Oh, I believe in a real old-fashioned gospel. It's making the man or woman up and making him juke up the devil. That's right. And get right to God. That's just little... I don't know if I didn't vomit it out. I'm that word. I'm just as sick when I'm as you are when you're vomiting. I'll take it out of all of this and say it. All right, some of them fine words. I don't know what's happening with that, but it's the truth anyhow. I'll tell you, you get God in your heart, and you'll sure make you fix yourself up. That's right. And bring the real thing out. I wanted to find a girl that just wants nothing to do with one who smokes cigarettes. And you know, sir, I get statistics from the government. And it claims that 80% of the women that have their babies today can't raise them as mothers ought to. Cigarette-smoking mothers, their babies don't reach 18 months old. They take nicotine boys and kill them. They have to raise them on the bottle on cow's milk. Talk about a fifth colony. What will America be? Then I all go in a barber chair. And there was a fellow sitting there, and he was just a shaking and a trimming. And he got up and said, Aren't you preacher Brennan? And I said, Yes, sir. He said, uh, I, I, I appreciate uh, just smoking the car. He said, I appreciate your, your, your comments the other day on cigarettes. And then he gave me a story. He said, my father and mother both smoked. And when I was born, said, I cried the first six months of my life. And said, they couldn't understand it. And one day, when the doctor came, said, stand there, my father lit up a cigarette. And was smoking. He said, I quit crying. The doctor said, wait a minute here. So take that baby outside. So I started crying, brought me back to smoke a cigarette, smoke, and tell me that I quietened. Cigarette nerves. 
Maybe you can wait the beans in that time to let me hear that now. I just keep talking. My daddy and mother are all the doors are falls of it. That was it, shouldn't be. There you are. There you are, brother. I tell you, it's a shame and a disgrace. If you win smoke cigarettes for goodness sakes, the thing is get away from it and stay away from it. Be a real lady. Right through the corner. That's right. Just to stop it right now. And I'll tell you now. If God don't think the more of you than the angel of the Lord does to get that stuff, you'll have a slim chance when you get to the, the gates of ever getting in. And that's, that's right. You don't have to do that. There's no sense of it. Now, if something to eat or something like that would be different, but that's something to no need of. No sense of it. Now, watch closely. As we have to hurry, I just saw those on the gospel and forget about my life story. But anyhow, I remember her sitting there, you know, one. she was smoking that cigarette, and I said, she said, blowing it out of her nose, you know, and that's far as I, God expects you to smoke and put smoke jacks on you. So he said, that blowing it out of her nose right then. I, that just agreed with her to me right then. And she said, uh, will you have a cigarette, Billy? I said, my, I said, no, ma'am, I don't smoke. She said, you don't drink, ma'am, you don't dance, and you don't smoke, but what do you like to do? I said, I like to go fishing and hunting, because that didn't interest her. So she was, you ain't good about that. She said, and she was laughing at me. She said, you big sissy. Oh, my. My girl called me sissy. I said, hand me that type of cigarette. And I got a hold of one just to turn it to smoke it. God is my judge. When I saw the light that cigarette before I was back next, I heard that come again. And they turned, I got out of the car crying, and they turned the lights on me and let me walk up that road, following me with the lights on me, teasing me and making fun of me because I was too much of a sissy to smoke a cigarette. It wasn't I was too much of a sissy, but God was preserving what I get for this day. That's all it was to me. I was determined to do it. But the God protected it. And that day was... Thank you, honey girl. Thank you, sweetheart. Isn't that lovely? Let's say praise the Lord for the little girl. God bless you, sweetheart. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. God bless you, honey. God bless you. Look, girl. Well, bless her. Oh, I'm sorry. I get to get up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I want to give this testimony here. The little girl was unable to speak or anything when she came four years ago and she brought this as a little commemoration of her healing as she was healed four years ago. Let's say praise the Lord.
this last story of when we were in the, uh, that night, uh, the girl, when they turned the light on me and that made me walk up the road, and I went up and sat down in the field and cried, and I was ready to try to take my life. I said, oh, I just don't know. I, I'm ready to, to, to end this thing. I said, how in the world could I ever go through life and, and everybody against me? Look like when I go home, they had parties and so forth. Then when I was, when I was trying to get out with people, I was misunderstood. I never was understood right until I got amongst this group of people. That, that's exactly right. Then I had people who understood me and loved me. And then all down, some of you might wonder, being so backward and bashful, how I ever come to get married. I'll tell you about it as quick as I can. <laughs> against the women. I said, I didn't have nothing to do with them at all. And I thought that was horrible. I said, I'll never have nothing to do with any more girls. I'll never go out with one as long as I live. I'd go down the street and I'd see one on one side of the street. I'd walk over here on the other if I thought she was going to speak to me. I was really against it. So, one day I happened to be out making a hide. I had somewhere out of the tree and a car drove up and a young lady sat down. <laughs> There it was again. <laughs> so there it all started. She had to be a Christian girl, my little boy's mother. And she started me going to church. And I went with her for about six or, six or eight months. And she was such a nice girl, so friendly and nice and ladylike. That's the type of girl that I like. Only her father was, well, he done pretty well. He had a good job making about $500 and something dollars a month on Pennsylvania organizer on the Pennsylvania Railroad. I'd make 20 cents an hour. He drove a, a Buick and I had an old T-Model Ford backslid. So I, quite a difference in the way we had to, to live. So I liked her and I went with her. So I remember, I know I had to either marry her or, or ask her if she would marry me or, or let somebody go and shoot good a girl just take up her time like that. She makes somebody a good wife. So I didn't, I wanted me, I loved her well enough that I didn't want to ruin her life like that. So I said, uh, I got to make up my mind now and I haven't got the nerve to ask her. So uh, I said, now what can I do? So I guess you wonder how I ever asked her. Well, I, I, I try to ask her, you know how that big lump comes up to your throat during the case of water, you know, and you're trying to see anything? I say every time I go, now I'm going to ask her tonight, yes sir, I'll do it. And I'd get to her and say, I'm 10 minutes more than my watch. I'll ask her. <laughs> That's it. She said, roll on by. I didn't do any good. I couldn't ask her. So in case you wonder how I ever got married, I wrote her a letter. <laughs> I wrote her a letter. Now, now, it wasn't a dear miss. It had a little old bunch, as we call it, Matt. I wrote it. I remember I wrote her all out. I asked her if she'd marry me. I didn't have nerve enough to give it to her, so I just put it in the mail. So I put it on. On Monday morning, went on to work. I had a date with her for Wednesday night to go to church. And so I, as Wednesday night began to come along, I, I, I began to think about it. What if her mother got all of that? <laughs> and, and she didn't get it. And then her dad and I were very good friends. Her mother too, but her dad was just a fine old Dutchman. But her mother, she was... She was kind of a little pretty, you know, and she, I guess she thought I 
her little passion for her and all and so on. She was a good woman, but I was just wasn't well up to the place to marry her. That was all I know. And she didn't think so much of me, but I tried to treat her nice, but I just took it on the good side of her somehow. So, so I remember I got thinking about it, and I scared the death to go up there that night. So I got my old boy finally dressed up in the best known, you know, and went up there and stopped in front of the house. I know better to blow the horn. <laughs> oh, my. She was a lady. <laughs> yes, sir. If your girl, if you love her enough to go with her, boy, like a man, she better that time. So I, I knew better to blow the horn, so I got it, walked out of the car and walked up the door, and I thought, oh my, this is all of it. I knocked at the door like that, and all my heart was raised as hard as it could, and I thought, who's going to come through? I can just see her mother come through and say, William, I got that other old man. So I said, Hope come through. She said, oh, hello, Billy. And I said, hi, Hope. Her name is Hope. And I said, um, she said, come in. I went, uh-oh. <laughs> They're getting me inside. Now I know I haven't got a running thing in saying. So, what do I do about that? So I said, well, I, I, I'll just wait. I'm just awfully warm. And she said, oh, step in. Mother wants to see you. And I went, oh. <laughs> you know how Satan can lie to you, you know, and tell you that's it, that's it. She said, it was all right. Well, you got that. She said, it was all right. 
some of his people, and he dealt in used goods, and I bought an old secondary cooking soap for a dollar and seventy-five cents. And I paid, I believe it was a dollar for new grapes and put in it, and we, we started a housekeeping, but we were happy. We were happy as we could be. We just had one another, and that's all we cared for. We loved the Lord with all of our hearts, and that's how we lived, just as happy as we could be. And I remember one day, then, I wanted to go on a little fishing trip up at Mishawalk, Indiana, and that was my first time to ever come in contact with any Pentecostal people. And I went up to old brother Ryan's and went fishing on my road back. This heaven, uh, it was the, uh, the PA of Debbie, I believe it is, or PA of JC, I think the organization died out and gone now, but uh, reunited with some other organization. But anyhow, there's a preacher by the name of Rao, Mitchell Walk. I had the tabernacle. Some of you might know him. Uh, Reverend Rao, yes, there's people with their hands up. No, Reverend Rao. Well, it was at his tabernacle. I was coming back and I uh, seen such a crowd of people and heard such a noise. And I thought, well, where in the world is all that noise coming from? And I went out there. There's religious people. And they were just screaming and shouting and jumping and running and carrying on. I thought, what kind of a bunch of people is that? So I drove my old over to one side. I only had about a dollar and a quarter to live on. And so and that gas me to get back home about 250 miles. And I walked over there and went in. And those people, I've never seen such church manners in my life. Mm, my. They were dancing. They were running. They were screaming. Why, well, I said, what kind of a people is this? I thought, I'll just click inside the door and watch what they were doing. While they're clapping their hands and a screaming and some of them beat the tambourine and some running up and down the boards and some dancing and running out of them. Well, what's wrong with those people? Never seen anything like that. So I got inside the door and I never rubbed off, but it began to get on. I didn't look around, I thought, well, you know what? They're awful happy, awful free. They're just a little bit more freer than I am. So I said, maybe the Lord's got something I don't know nothing about. So I began to look at him. Somehow I began to get a love. I seemed to love one another. And those women would grab one another and hug one another, kiss each other, and the man throw their arms around one another and hug each other. Well, I've never seen that before. I said, say, this is look good to me. Believe I just say they said we're going to have services tonight. So I had a dollar seventy-five cents. And I said, no. I got this man at least one more dollar of that to go home on. I leave you 75 cents. I can't bring a room. So I went out and got me uh, about two dozen rolls. And I said, I can live off these for a few days. I'm going to look around here and see what this is all about. So I went out and uh, got me a place at Cornfield located where I had to sleep that night. I come back down to the service. And that night, he said, I want all the preachers to come to the platform. And I guess the three or four hundred preachers got on the platform and having a conference. And they had to have it up there on the counter, well, the southern state put that the colored and white together. So they just had it up there, and I know it's all that preachers. That night they had a main speaker, was an old colored man, they had to eat him out to the platform. Had on one little bitty uh, cutaway preacher, cold short, with velvet collar, just a little rim of white hair, and a poor old fella come out there. And all that ministers that day had been speaking about Christ and how great he was and everything. Had on one little bitty uh, cutaway preacher, cold show, the velvet collar, just a little rim of white hair, and a poor old fella come out there. And all that ministers that day had been speaking about Christ and how great he was and everything. I was listening to him, 
the way all preachers come to the platform. I went up and sat down with them. When all he had time, he said, just to have the preacher say, who are you, where are you from? I just read that, and I said, Joe Brown, Jeffersonville. Sit down. The rest of them along like that. Went all along down the line. This old preacher came out to preach. He said he had it. He was going to preach the message that night. The old fellow came out. I thought, oh, oh, brother. He's just all crippled up like this. He come out, and he tells me, text him over, and I think Job 7, 27, some of that, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? See, when the morning stars came together, and the sons of God shouted for joy. And instead of preaching what he'd done down here on earth, he took him up back on just about 10,000 years before the world was ever born, brought him on down across to the skies, and come down the horizontal rainbow, back kind of eternity somewhere. When that old fellow got anointed, he jumped up in the air, took his heels together, and hollered, whoopee! Walked over that platform, looked around, he had more room than I got up here, said, you ain't got room enough up here for me to preach. Walked over, I said, that's what I want. If, if it'll make an old man act like that, what would it do to me? I said, that's the thing I want. That's what I want. I said, my Lord, wonderful people. I went out that night and I got down the old cornfield and I prayed and I prayed. Nobody knows me. So I tucked my trousers and put them between the seats of the Ford and press them, you know. Tucked the back seat out and the front seat out. Put them down. Probably you've done the same thing. Press them overnight. I laid down over there in the grass and I prayed nearly all night. The next morning they said they were going to have breakfast at 10 o'clock. I wouldn't eat with them because I had no money to put in the offering and I just had my rolls. So I, I eat my rolls and come by a hydrant down there and got me some water. Come on down. I've been welcome, but I just didn't want to do it because I couldn't help them out. So I didn't have the money to, but I was wondering what they had spiritually. And I, and then that morning they started singing that little song, I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood, and oh my, this had a real time. So I got through all the older jubilee part. Then he said, uh, last night on the platform there was a, the, a young minister by the name of Billy Graham. Oh. Said uh, if he is in the building, tell him to come forth and speak for us this morning. Well, I've never even seen a microphone before. Now I took that there and there, the tears stuck the trousers on a little t-shirt. I just hunkered down real easy. So, so they said, that fellow come up again, Mr. Kirk. You all may know him. He has been from Cincinnati. Brother Kirk, he's a short teacher. Well, that's me. He said, uh, anybody outside know what we're doing? I thought, well, you ever helped anybody? You helped me. I said, how do you, folks? 
Then I heard started crying, and, and there came before my father's garden. I listened to my mother-in-law in a fit of God. He was giving me the opportunity. And there this gift had been manifested long, long ago, if I just went ahead and done what God told me to do. But instead of that, I didn't want her to be angry, and I didn't want to hurt nobody's feelings, and so I just, just let it go. I just, well, just said, all right, we won't go. And right there, the power of God. Immediately after that, my father died. My brother was killed a few nights later from that. I almost lost my, I lost my father, my brother, my wife, my baby, and my sister-in-law, and almost my own life within about six months' time. Just started going down. My church center, everything went down, down, down. Hope taken sick. Just right after that, 1937, flood had come on. And when it did, uh, I was, got a job then. I went to work for the conservation. I was patrolling out in the, so uh, when I, the floods began to come up, and you remember here, here, many of us there, and how people being washed away and things, and hope taking sick, and someone over to get me a, a Christmas present. And the box book of the martyr is what I wanted for a Christmas present. And she got me a little fish box. And when I come in that afternoon, she was laying on the floor fainted. And I called our family doctor, Dr. Adair, and he, he came up there and said, well, Bill, she's got pneumonia. So he said, you have to stay up all night, Christmas Eve night. During that time, before that, a little girl baby with little Sharon Rose, bless her little heart, she's in heaven too today. She'd been born and gone home, just the sweetest little thing you've seen, just a few months old. And so then I remember the doctor there told me, he had to stay up, really keep the children out of the room here, and said, stay up and, and, and give a lot of fluid that night, and I did. And next morning, my mother wanted to take her down to the house, and she didn't care so much about bouncing her down and taking her out and throw her into two burgers. So then I remember the flood coming on, they rushed her out to the government, they her out there for the hospital, and, and all oh, that horrible night, it raining, twisting, blowing, now, brother, sister, you prosper to my mistake now. Always my God, no matter what anybody says to me. And I pray the day that God in heaven who looks down upon me standing here this platform will forgive me. I know that many thousands of souls I'll have to answer for that day for listening to somebody else instead of God. That's true. Now, I remember out there that night they take me out to the government barracks where they use it for temporary hospitals. The floods were on, and I was down trying to patrol. I took out the fear. She was sick, and both babies had taken them on and they were in there sick. And I rushed back there to call me everywhere in the patrol car. I was in. I went out of town, and I was coming up the street long about 11 o'clock, and the old guy could broke you up there and down to the other part of the city was washed, just washed out, and they didn't know how many was killed or, or nothing. Such a horrible time. Now I remember, I heard somebody hollering screaming. I looked way over there, tight Chester Street, a big two-story building. And he was shaking like this, and there stood a mother out there with her baby in her arms, and the building going down, screaming for mercy. Well, I lived on the river, and I thought I was a pretty good boatman. I went and got my boat out of the back of my car and set it in the water, a little patrol car I had. And I set the boat in the water, and I got out there to her and got her to two or three other little girls in the, in the room. And I got them out, and just the time I got into the bank, 
And I heard, she said, my, she's fainting, she hollered, my baby, my baby, get my baby. I thought she left a little bitty baby in the room, and I left it. So I started back, and the water just a twisting. I couldn't hardly make it, and I finally got way up this way and come down. She caught a hold of the, of the, the outside post and tied my boat and went in. The baby, she saw it right as a baby, she's in her arm, about two and a half years old. And then when I heard the building go out from under me, and I ran out real quick, and I fell in the water, probably 25 feet. And I fell in the water, just got to hold the boat like this to pull the, keep it from pulling my boat down too, and undone the, or loose the knot in the rope, crawled into the boat, then the thing squeezed me like that, I couldn't get the outboard motor started on it, out into the river, I whirled right out into the main part of the current, me pulling and pulling, and it wouldn't start, then great waves almost as high as this building here, licking up like that, that little bitty boat like that, me out there, right shore high falls, just about mile and a half below the air going right through them, which makes death at any minute. And there, brother, I had to think of whether it was trash or not I was going out to see. There, pulling on that rope, and it wouldn't start, and I'd pull again, and it wouldn't start. Sick wife and baby laying out there, just lost my daddy and everything. I knelt down the boat, and I said, oh, God, have mercy, have mercy. I don't want to die out here in this river like this, and I don't want to raise them children. Please, dear Heavenly Father, if you just let it start, dear God, and that boat rocking from side to side like that, me trying to pull that, I thought, oh, you can't do this little piece far as in the falls. I know that was the end of all the things. So then big waves like that, and they're coming back this way, taking it right into the whirlpool there. And it's seven or eight feet deep right straight down through there. And normal times, if anybody ever going there, that's all of it. Hang on those big rock ledges down through there, and there's seven fellows find their bodies. And so I was praying that when I said, God, I know I've done wrong. I know I oughtn't to listen to what I did. Please, dear Heavenly Father, just to try to start. And just in a few moments, he'd give a couple of little sweaters and started. Oh, uh, back in my land, come back and give it all I could. And I heard cutting this way and praying my gas and hold out. Finally landed way down towards New Albany there. The other corner, got in and went back and got my boat, or got my car. And when I got up there to find out about the mother and everything was all right, I took out to a government hospital to find out how my wife was. I was going to talk to her about it. And I went out there and they were just laying in a little old army top. And when I got there, it was all covered over with water. Over there. Then I started screaming to the top and I got excited then. Major Weekly, a friend of mine at the government, he walked up to me. He said, Larry Graham? I said, yes, sir. He said, I don't think your wife is gone, but I think they got everybody out of there. He said, I think they went to Charleston, a city about 12, 14 miles above here. But I think they went out on a cattle car. He heard me moaning, and it's sleeping, blowing like that. Two sick babies and them with me moaning. One of them is eight months old. And I thought, oh, mercy, they're on a cattle car. Then I jumped in my truck and went out there so to get the road to go to Charleston. There's about six miles of water where the Yankee Saint Creek had come in like this to get that. I went down and got in a speedboat, and I tried my best to get through them waves. I hit like this and would come back around. And I got my tragic bus of waves, and out there, got cut off from everything. Out there myself. I sat out there in the room and for a lot of eight days, where we had to drop me something to eat. I had a lot of time to think over who I was listening to, God or somebody else. Well, he's known love his mother or whoever it was. You listen to what God's got to tell you. Mm-hmm. I sat there and I prayed and cried. Uh, you got to make this stand, and then instead of standing up against it, I thought more than someone from one woman who said it, and what my own conscience and God was putting in my heart. 
So Billy's been awfully sick. Cheers a little better. And she said, I'm awfully sick. I started crying. I said, God, don't, don't take this from me. Please don't, Lord. I thought somebody touched me on the back. And the doctor said, River Dam? And I said, Yes, sir. Come here just a minute. He said, aren't you afraid of the stand air? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, I hate to tell you this, Reverend Brand, but your wife's dying. He said, your wife's got two birthdays. Sam told me to tell you just to make her comfortable, not to be excited around her. I said, she's dying, doctor. But I said, she can't, doctor. Oh, she can't do it. I said, I love her with all my heart. I'm a Christian. And I said, I just, I just know she ain't going to die. I just can't think of the thoughts to think that she'd be taken away from me here. Look at these two little babies. How could I stand it? He said, well, I hate to tell you, but there's nothing to be done as far as I know. I went back to her trying to brace myself up to talk to her. A few days we took her home. She just kept getting worse, worse, worse. I went to Louisville, the head specialist and everything, took her out to the hospital. Dr. Miller from the sanitarium came down and looked. He called me out one side and said, Reverend Brandon, she's going to die. So there ain't nothing to be done for her, so she's, she's going to die. I said, Dr. Miller, honest, isn't there something I can do? Could I take her to Arizona? Could I do something? But said, it's too late now, Billy. So that, that, the, that galloping two-burger said it, it killed him right away. That her family's had it back behind there, which I knew later that they, they did. And said, she just broke with it. She's got such a hold on her. So we give her nematoric treatments and everything. It's just not a hole in her hand. When it born, that hole in her side, the clasp them lungs, the head's gone where it would be done. And she'd hold my hand, and bless her heart, I'd have to always pull her hand off of mine from suffering. Oh, where did bore that hole in there and clasp the lungs on the side, and that tuberculosis traveling right on up like that. I knew she was going, and I was doing all that I could do, and I was working. I, I remember I was out, and I heard a patrol sign come through. It said, calling, William Branham, come to the hospital immediately, wife dying. I never will forget. I took off my hat. Sitting in the truck, I held up my hand and I said, Oh, Jesus, please don't let her go. Let me talk to her once more before she goes. Please do favor. I was about 20 miles away from home. I turned on the lights and everything. I went down the road real swift, stopped in front of the hospital and shut off the gun belly into the place. I went real quick. I started walking down through the Clark County Memorial Hospital. As I started down through there, I looked and I seen four little doctors there come walking down through there, his head down. God bless that man. And he he looked at me like that, but he sort of said, like that, and started crying, running to hell. And I run up to him, something around him. I said, Sam, is it me? He said, Billy, I'm, I'm afraid she's gone now. I said, come to with me, Doc. Let's go in. He said, Bill, please don't ask me to do that. I said, oh, boy, I love you. He put his arms around me. I love you, Billy. We've been bosom friends. But I can't go and look at hope again. But that's like my sister laying there. That she's baked me pies and everything. But how could I go in and see her going like that? Come in, nurse. I said, no, no. Let me go myself. And nurse said, I'll take care of her. Here's some, here's, try getting some little old medicine there. I said, I don't want that. I walked on into the room, shut the door behind me. I looked over there. They done had the sheet pulled up over her face. I pulled that sheet down and looked. She was real thin and she was drawn up like this. I put my hands on her. Perspiration was real sticky. Her face was cold. I shook her out with a hope, sweetheart. Please speak to me once more. I said, God, have mercy. I said, never again will I think them people are trash. I'll make my stand. During that time, we both received the Holy Ghost, though. I said, 
Please, will you learn? I shook her. I said, oh, please speak to me once more. And I, I shook her and again I got those great big dark eyes looked up at me. She said, come here. I got down real close to where she was. She said, oh, why did you call me, honey? I said, call you? I said, sweetheart, I thought you were gone. She said, oh, Bill. By that time, the nurse went and said, Reverend Bernard here. She said, you had that little medicine? I said, no. She called the nurse, Miss Cook. She said, come here. She said, sit down just a minute. I've just got a few minutes left. And she was hope friend. And she was biting her lips. She said, when you get married, I hope you get a husband like mine. And that, you know how it made me feel. She said, it's been good to be. We've loved each other way to heaven, but I, I hope you get a husband like mine. I, I turned my head. I couldn't stand it. First kid walked out of the room. I walked over to her. I said, sweetheart, you're not going to leave me, are you? She said, oh, Bill. She said, you've talked about it. you preached about it, but you don't know how glorious it is. So just before you called me, there was something white was taking me home. I was going down to a great big place where there's pretty trees and big birds and swings. I was just perfectly at peace. Being taken to my home, I believe she's seen paradise for sure as I'm standing this platform. She said, you've talked about that wonderful Holy Spirit bill, but you don't know how wonderful it is when it comes to Christ. That's the reason I'm for it, brother. I know it's real. I've seen it at the end of the road. Yeah, you call me all you want to, but let me die one. That's the way I want to go. Yes, sir. He said, oh, you don't know how I want to live. She said, we are. You know I'm going, don't you? And I said, yes. He didn't mind going. She said, oh, it's all right. So I hate to leave your children, but oh, how wonderful that place is over there. She said, I want to go back. And she said, you know how I'm going, don't you? And oh, that's what killed me. I was like, Yes, honey, I know it. I said, if we'd have minded God instead of your mother, it would have been this way. I said, I'm going with him, don't you worry. She said, promise me that you'll preach it as long as you live. I said, so help me, God. I said, I'll do all that I can, honey. And she said, I want you to do a few things for me with it. I said, yes, I'll, I'll try it. I said, I'll do all I can. And she said, you remember that time when we was in Louisville and, and you wanted to buy that rifle to go hunting and I just love guns and see. And it's taken three dollars to make a down payment on it. And I said, yeah, I remember. She said, we didn't have the money to pay for it. And I said, no. She said, sweetheart. She said, I wanted to get you that rifle so bad. She said, I've been saving for about eight months. And she said, after I'm gone, when you go home, look up on the phone and bet on that paper. And you'll find the money there. You know, I got to say, 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 and she said, they will help me pull about the beautiful. And I said, honey, I, I can't promise that. I said, I love you too much. And she said, please, please. And I said, she said, you can't take care of that little girl, little Billy. I said, well, honey, don't think you promise that. She said, I, I know you promised me you'll do it. And I see her going fast. 
all the love in my heart. You're just about to kill me, Lord, but I said, I love you anyhow. Take her, Lord. Not my will, but thine be done. Fell a little bone in my body. Come on, Jordan. I swear you know, a little bit. Angels of God, come touch the little thing. Take her home. I took it out, put it in the casket. And mother, we took her out to the cemetery. The minister stood there, picked up a handful of hay, of dirt, and said, As you say, dust to dust to earth to earth. I heard the rope squeaking as it let him down. Now, like the breeze coming down through an old maple tree, said, There is a land beyond the river. At the call of sweet forever, we only reached that shore by faith degree. One by one, we attained the portal there to dwell with the immortal. Someday we'll ring the golden bell for you and me. I returned home. I couldn't be satisfied. I just see my wife going to that baby. How could I give it up? What can I do about that? Now I went on back to work. One morning I was climbing a pole, working as a lineman. I hooked my belt like that and I was singing up. I was working around the primary. I was singing, on the hill, far away, with an old rugged cross. The sun was just coming up. That cross arm on the pole made my shot on the side of the bank. Look like a body on the cross to wiggle out of. Yes, it was my sin and shame that put him there. I was the one who nailed him to the cross, the prince of life. I said, oh, God, but in heaven somewhere you got my little girl. And then I become almost frantic, almost a mental crap. I took off my rubber glove. 2300 is running right to the side of me. I said, God, I hate to be a coward, but Sherry, honey, I'm daddy's coming to see you this morning. I said, lay my hand down on that wire. Why well, I broke every bone in my body. I don't know. Unless God is foreordained that this gift should go for it. The next thing I knew, I was sitting on the ground. Perspiration ran off my face. I took a home of put them in the truck, went out and went home. As I went around the house, I picked up the nail. Went around the house, then came up to Paris. Turned cold weather, frost was coming up to the floor there. I wouldn't go nowhere. We didn't have very much, but what we had. We, she and I lived together with it. It was home, sweet home to me. I don't care how it was. It was, it was her furniture, and I wanted to stay at home. But I uh, went in the house. First letter I looked at, Miss Sharon Rose Branham, 80 cents, Christmas baby. Oh, my, it's all over again. I knelt down on the floor there. I started crying. I said, God, please have mercy upon me. I'll take my own life. I did a word. In the room, I had a gun. I went in to get this gun. I put the shells in it. I pulled out everybody on the gun. I said, Lord, I'm going wild. I don't know. I don't know. I put it inside my head like this. I said, Oh, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Squeeze the hammer. It wouldn't fall. I don't know. I didn't even take my own life. I threw the gun down and shot it over the house. Oh, my God. Now, oh. Sleep, I thought I was out west here somewhere. I always loved the west. I had one of these big hats like the cowboys wear. I was going walking down to a parade. There's no parade through, and then the wheel broke down on it. I was singing, the wheel on the wagon is broken. Sign on the ranch to say, well, like that. I looked standing there, and there stood the most beautiful young blonde-headed one standing there. I, Hair glowing, she's dressed in white. 
that the priest girl I was seen. I put my head out and said, How did you, sister? And if she said, Hi, Dad. I looked around and I said, Dad? She said, Yes. She said, I said, Well, I don't understand this. I said, You call me your daddy. She said, Dad, you just don't know where you're at. So this is heaven. So I said, I don't know if I was your little Sharon Rose. But don't you remember your teaching of immortality? I teach that there won't be little bitty babies like that in heaven. We'll all be one age and one size. The immortal, you have to always be that way. We'll just see there'll be no real old people and no real little bitty babies. We'll just be one age and years forever. And he said, don't you remember your teaching of immortality? I said, you're not sure. And she said, yes, Daddy. I said, well, sure, honey, I don't understand. She said, where's Billy Paul? That's your little brother, the one here. I said, well, I left him just a while ago, but I don't understand. She said, Daddy, mother's waiting for you at home. I said, home? I said, honey, I never had a home. Branham's are vagabonds like now, but I never had a home. She said, but Dad, you got a home up here. She said, turn, look this way. I looked back there and I seen the glory of God coming up. And I see the great, big, pretty mansion there. She said, that's your home, Daddy. The mother's waiting for you. She said, you go on, mother won't see you. I want to wait here for Billy. And I took out up to there. I got to the door, and there she came out to meet me. She always did. Not sickly, not all drawn up and eat up with two bushes. She came out with her arms off, like black hair hanging down her leg, dressed in white. She said, held out her arms, and then I run to her, grabbed her to her hands, and knelt down. I said, oh, hope, honey. I said, I'm not sure, and this our darling make a pretty woman. But you are still. She said, you're worrying too much, honey. I said, worrying? How could I keep from worrying? And she said, she said, look, so you're just worrying about Sharon and I? I said, don't worry about us. We're so much better off than you are. And I said, well, honey, everything's been going wrong and everything. She said, I know all about it. She said, now stand up. And I stood up and I looked at her and, oh, she looked like she did the night I married her. And I looked at her and... She said, won't you sit down? And I looked, there's a great big Morris chair sitting there. And I looked over at her. She said, I don't know what you're thinking. When we didn't have any chairs. We had the old hickory bottom chairs. You know what the orange cane bottom? We had two or three of those. And I wanted a, a Morris chair to sit in. They could buy them for $15 and I'd pay $3 down a dollar a week. And I got one and I paid up to about 8 or $10 on it. And I just couldn't make the payments. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't shave that dollar out. And I went about two or three weeks behind, and I, they sent me a gun to go come get it, and I wrote them, told them they'd have to come. I remember the day they come and got my chair. Wife baked me a cherry pie, and she had all fixed for me. Now I come in, a real wife. God bless her, a great baby white with snow, but I still love her. And then she, when she had this, I thought there was something happening. I went in, she was talking, she said, I had some of the boys to dig some fish and worms, said, we're going down the river, she knew that I love the fish, she said, we're going down the fish. Tonight, I said, well, honey, what's the matter? She said, nothing. After supper, I thought something. I said, let's go in the front. We said, no, let's go fishing first. I, I know what it was. I walked out up and started walking the door. She'd come put her arms around me. They'd come out my chair. I'd work all day and preach all the night. Then I'd sit in this chair and study what it was and go to sleep. And they'd come got an hour of money on it and couldn't pay it. They had to come get it. Now, I never would get how we felt. And she'd recognized that when we were standing talking. She said, you remember that chair they come and got? I said, yes, honey. She said, they'll never come get this one. 